a new one. Theology is the study of what? the study of God. Theos is the Greek word for God. Ology is the word study of. Biology is the study of what? Life. Keep your hand up, Brother Sterling. These men are slow, but they're accurate. White Earp said it's better to be slow and accurate than quick and inaccurate. And he survived some gunfights, so I guess there's truth to that. Tonight, we are looking at the scriptures of the Bible. Isn't that an interesting topic? I was telling Randy, uh, you guys, about three or four years ago, gave me two weeks in the summer for study leave. You remember that? You even miss me when I'm gone? You don't have to respond to that. But it was last July, I was looking through my notes last week when the Proverbs series was planned out, and it was last July when the sermon or the message tonight, the topic, and God knew that we were going to have a Gideon speaker. That's pretty cool, isn't it? How God's timing is always perfect. Uh, but in theology, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, probably the, the, the three things you've just got to be right on to have a right orthodox theology, you've got to be right on what you believe about God. You have to be right about what you believe about the Bible. And some scholars debate which will you would treat first, the Bible or God, because you understand the Bible is where we know the most about God and about salvation. So we're looking tonight, probably will for another week or two at the Scriptures. Our Christian Bible, the Bible is one book. The Bible is one book that contains how many books? Sixty-six. Sixty-six. The Bible is one that contains... 66 books. It contains four distinct unified testaments. Is that right or wrong? Two. So if you wrote four, scratch it and shame on you. It has two, right? Yes or no? I want you to be quiet Sunday morning. I want you to talk tonight, okay? I really like, you could talk more on Sunday morning. That'd be good too. There are 60, wait a second, there are 39 books in the Old Testament. My notes are wrong here. That never happens. How'd that happen? There are 39 books in the Old Testament and 929 chapters. Now, that's significant because a lot of times we want to read through the Bible yearly. And to know, to read through 929 divided by 365, that's a little more than three chapters a day. So it's a, a wonderful task, but it is. It's, uh, and sometimes when you get in Leviticus, it can be a little bit of a grind, can't it? That's why you need to be reading a chapter in Leviticus and a chapter in Psalms at the same time. That'll keep you grounded. There's 929 chapters in the Old Testament. The, the original Old Testament was written almost entirely in what language? It was in, in Hebrew. Now, here's an interesting little, and I don't think it's trivia, a, a very small portion of it was written in Aramaic. Let me spell that for you. A-R-A-M-A-I-C. Let me spell it again. A-R-A-M-A-I-C. Aramaic is, is kind of a, a derivative of Hebrew. And Jesus, as you've heard me mention before, probably was trilingual. He probably spoke a lot of Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew. The, the, the part of the Old Testament that contains Aramaic is half of the book of Daniel, 
and two passages in Ezra. So you can see out of 39 Old Testament books, the Aramaic is very small, correct? It, it is very small. The New Testament contains how many books? Anybody know? 27 books, 27 books and 260 chapters. How many of you find it easier to read through the New Testament every year than the Old Testament? For multiple reasons, uh, but it's a lot shorter too, isn't it? So you can read, if you're thinking about a plan, you can read a chapter a day, Monday through Friday, and take off Saturday and Sunday because you're so exhausted from your reading, and read through the New Testament every year Easily, You can also read two chapters a day and read through the New Testament twice a year, which is an interesting thing. If you're really an overachiever and you want to try this, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll throw this challenge out to some of you. Maybe we'll pick a month after Easter because that's one of the months pastors have to work a lot that we can read the New Testament together in a month. Has anybody in here ever done that before? You read nine chapters a day and you do it every day of the week, but it's, it's an intriguing and fun thing to do. So, if you're up to that challenge after church, talk to me. Maybe we'll do that together. I think that would, that would be fun. The original New Testament was written in Pig Latin. What was it written in? It was written in Greek. Now, this is important, too. It really is important. It was not written in classical Greek, but in Koine Greek. And, and Koine Greek was the Greek of the common man. Now, guys, listen to me. This is important. When God got ready to give us the New Testament, he gave us the New Testament in a language that was the universal language of the area that spread throughout the world, and he gave it in the language of the common man. Isn't that cool? I I used to, when I was a young pastor, I grew up in a church about like our church where the pastors used, you'd say, modern translations, I guess. But when I first started preaching in smaller churches, they would really get upset if you didn't use the King James. And the King James is a good translation of the Bible. It's just hard to read. It's written on a 12th grade reading level. The average American's on about a 6th or 7th grade reading level. Do you see a problem? And it was the common language of the man in when? 1611 in England, right? And so... You get people a translation they can understand. It's very important. It's very important. And when God gave us the, 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 the Bible, he gave it in the language of the common man because God's always trying to reach people where they are. How many of you find that significant? It's not accidental, is it? I mean, God, God didn't flip, his, flip a coin. You know, heads it's Spanish, tails it's Greek. Did he? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't accidental. This is uh, uh, something I learned after I got out of graduate school. Isn't this funny? Learning the books of the Bible in their order is really a helpful Bible study and research tool. It'll amaze you how much time you will save if you know the order of the Bible, right? It's easier with the phone app, isn't it? Isn't that cheating? Don't you wish that we'd have had that in Bible drill with Greg when we were kids and we could have cheated when they'd said present Bibles, you could have been doing like this and found it quickly. Uh, but it will help you. It helps you to know the books of the Bible and the, the order they're in. It helps you as you look up things and as you, as you find things. Guys, the Bible is revelation. It, it's revealing. It, it's revealing. It's God revealing himself to us. And, and in several ways, the Bible tells us God has revealed himself to us in nature. 
In Romans 1, it talks about God revealing himself to us in nature, doesn't it? Does anybody remember that? It does. And secondly, he has revealed himself to us in our conscience. Romans 2. Not that a person on their own can figure out that Jesus Christ lived, died, and arose. In fact, the Bible tells us we're supposed to tell people that. But there is an eight in something in us, in our conscience, that there is a, a right and a wrong in a, in a God. And in fact, if you, you listen to people like Joseph Stalin or Hitler, uh, one, that's one of the things they wanted to suppress because they knew people had that. And, and that to dominate people, they had to try to remove that. Uh, God has revealed to, to himself to us in Jesus. Would you agree with that? The perfect revelation for sure. Colossians 1.15 is such a great verse. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Would you, would you read that with me? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all of creation. Now, it's going to be important. We learn about Jesus through what? Through the Bible. But Jesus is the perfect picture of God, and he has clearly revealed himself to us in the Bible. In the Bible. Now, we're going to probably two weeks from now, we we will look deeper into this, but trusting your Bible is is paramount. It's paramount. I mean, there there are ancient sources and literature out there that tells us there was a Jesus of Nazareth, that he literally existed, whether you're an atheist or not. Jesus did exist. He did. But the Bible is the document that tells us clearly about him and about his life and about God. How do we know the Bible is from God? Well, here's the first thing. It says it is. Now, I understand if you're an atheist or if you're not a Christian, well, you go, well, you know, okay, whatever. But, but I think for me and for you and, and for, for those who are interested, what does the Bible say about itself? 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. Verses that many of you have heard for years. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, all Scripture would include what? All Scripture. Isn't that unique? Don't you like when preachers get deep and fancy? All means what? It means all. And, and when, when it uses the term God breathed, now, now listen, it, I've always believed this. If God breathed it, it's perfect. Right? Uh, so that's, that's a theory of inspiration. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 is a very important passage. Listen to what God says through Peter, knowing this first of all. In other words, that this is huge to understanding and connecting the dots with Jesus and the Bible. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Now, own interpretation there does not mean what you and I might think, like, you know, two goofballs in connection groups getting an argument, you know, I I believe this, I believe that. And, And you're not goofballs. I mean, we do that all the time. We do that in staff meeting, and that's fine. 
but interpretation means there, it means no scripture came about by someone's own dream or their thought or they brought it into to being. For no prophecy was produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's what, here's what that passage tells us. The Bible, we got the Bible not from somebody sitting around thinking up something to write, but that God superintended the process of what we got. We have 13 letters in the New Testament that we identify as, as God used the Apostle Paul to write. Paul probably wrote 500 letters. 13 made it in the Bible for a reason. Does that make sense? Paul liked to write and he liked to talk. Paul wrote a lot. 13 made it in the Bible because those were the ones superintended by the Holy Spirit. I love 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16 because indirectly, well, maybe not indirectly, Peter kind of takes a shot at Paul in a way that many of us would agree. And count the patience of the Lord's salvation. The Lord's not come back yet because he's wanting people to be saved. It's huge. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them, in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand. How many of you would say amen? <laughs> Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Now read this last part with me. As they do... Wow. That sneaks in there, doesn't it? You may have read that 25 times and you can miss that. Reggie, he identifies those works of Paul as other scriptures, doesn't he? That's gigantic, isn't it? That, that is very, very important. Okay, now, so, okay, well, I don't believe the Bible. How, how do I buy into that this is of God? Well, its great unity proves it supernatural. The unity of the Bible. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. 1,500 years. God used kings, peasants, Poets, herdsmen, fishermen, scientists, farmers, priests, pastors, tent makers, and governors to write it. Yet the Bible has one central message. It's of God's redemptive purpose for man. One theme throughout the Bible, God's redemptive purpose for man. How many of you remember an old preacher named W.A. Criswell? Chris will one time preached a famous sermon on New Year's Eve. It started like at 7 o'clock and ended like at 12.30. You think it's bad here. <laughs> they actually said there were more people there when he ended than when he started because people were going out and calling people and telling them to come. But he started in Genesis 1 and went through Revelation 22. It's called the scarlet thread of redemption, how the whole theme of the Bible is about God trying to reach you and me. I want you to really listen to the next thing I'm going to say to you. The Bible does not contradict itself. Do you remember the name Madeline Murray O'Hare? Do any of y'all remember that? She was here in our church several years ago, was a secretary. You don't know her if you believe that. Madeline Murray O'Hare was the woman who was famous, infamous atheist who really was responsible for getting prayer out of public schools. Uh, one of her sons later became a, a pastor, a Christian and a pastor. And interesting stories he tells. 
But Madeline Murray O'Hare, I think, played on the fact that she was a woman and she knew probably that these Christian men were not going to physically hit her, which is good. And so she would, when she would debate with Christian men, she would be very vile and vulgar and mean and, and just intimidate a lot of them because how were they to handle it? Chuck Colson, do you remember the name Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson became a Christian in prison. He was a, a lawyer for Richard Nixon, and that didn't go well. And when he got out, he became a great spokesman and a, a leader for Christianity. And he was scheduled to do a debate with Miss Madeline Murray O'Hare. And he watched her on video and how she operated. And one of the things she would say is, the Bible contradicts itself. Of course, she's screaming and spitting and, you know, what do you do? Thank you, honey. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough. And so what he did is he had a Bible with him, and when she spewed that out at him, he said, here's the Bible, find the contradictions on stage live. And her big yap was shut at that point. I'll challenge you. Dig in it. When you find them, bring them, and we'll talk about them. Because you know what? You're not going to find them. You're not going to find them. And, and that's not just from a eight-year-old vacation Bible school conversion, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's from studying this book for years and years and years. The Bible does not contradict itself. Here's what you'll hear sometimes. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels. S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C. Synoptic means to see alike. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels, correct? We have four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics because they're very similar in a lot of places. And how many of you notice when you read your Bibles that the gospels tell the same stories over and over? Okay, they, they do. How many of you ever notice that sometimes the details are different? Okay, and you'll hear some, oh, that, 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 that's contradicting. No, it's not at all. It, it's not at all. I promise you we could take four of you and we could go somewhere to eat and we could come back, especially we came back a week later, and said, tell us about that. But you better be honest. And, and you could tell the absolute truth and the stories would be mainstream, but there'd be a lot of different details, wouldn't it? Greg Phillips went to the bathroom and Chris ate some of his french fries. Chris went to the bathroom and Greg put pepper in Chris's tea. There would be, there would be different details, but it's all the truth. Does that make sense? Yes, no, maybe. Let me just pause and say, if, if we're wrong on the Bible, we're done. And this is really, 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 really. In fact, everything we do Sunday is dependent on this being true. It's dependent on this being true. You have eyewitnesses telling the same story. They just give different details. They never contradict themselves. We have parts of the Old Testament manuscripts that go back to the first and second century, into Jesus' day almost. These are the Dead Sea Scrolls. You heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? They were found up at Lake Darbone about 20 years ago. No, they were found by the where? The Dead Sea, possibly? Yes. And you know what's neat is that these manuscripts, parts of these, they weren't full manuscripts of the Old Testament, parts of the scriptures they found did not contradict anything that we already had. Now, I'm going to share with you some stuff about the New Testament that I think is really cool. 
Homer was an 8th century Greek poet. That means he was around 700 years or so before Jesus. Now, this is, don't get bored, stay with me. There are 643 ancient copies of his work. That's a lot. The oldest manuscript of his work dates back about 500 years to Homer, okay? You follow me? And and what's neat is that there's a 95% agreement between the copies. So you take those 643 copies, there's none really that close to his time, but they agree. 95% is pretty good. How many have ever heard of Plato? Plato was a Greek philosopher. He died 300 years or so before Jesus. There are seven copies of his most famous work, and the oldest one the, uh, th- that we have that's close, and old is good when it comes to an ancient manuscript. The oldest one is about 1,200 years before the original. That's a big gap, isn't it? Now, here's where we really get some cool stuff. We have up to 5,600, 5,600 full manuscripts of the New Testament. Did you write that in? We have 643 of Homer's. We have seven of Plato's. We have 5,600 full manuscripts of the New Testament. When you put together the full manuscripts and parts of the New Testament, we have 24,000 full manuscripts and partial manuscripts. That's worded a little bit weird by me there. I'm sorry. What that means is along with that 5,600 full manuscripts, we've got a lot more partial works of the New Testament. Parts, listen, parts of these manuscripts date to within 25 years of the original New Testament. And there's a 99.5% agreement among these. Can you say amen? Okay, you say, well, what's that 5%? That 5% is an and instead of a the. An A instead of a a B. I mean, they're, they're minuscule grammatical errors like that. Listen, you've got 24,000 ancient texts. Some of them date within 25 years of the original New Testament. And there's a 99.5% agreement in that. Man, I'm going to tell you something beautiful, guys. You can trust this. Nobody ever doubts the works of Homer or Plato. Have you ever been drinking coffee and someone says, I don't believe that Plato and Homer's works are real? Have you ever heard that? You're weird if you have heard that, but you haven't. <laughs> because everybody takes that for granted, don't they? How, how, can you, how can you not trust the New Testament? Listen, the New Testament is clearly the most scholarly documented ancient document. Not meaning to play on words there, but it's the most scholarly documented ancient document. Write this in that last blank, if you would. I can trust my Bible, and this is big beyond our ability to comprehend. You can trust your Bible. 
I don't want you just to tell me what I want to hear right now. I think you know what I want to hear. How many of you think that's gigantic, though? It is. You go home tonight, and you're, you're reading your Bible, or you go home, uh, you come to church on Sunday, and you're in church, or you're in a connection group, and, and, and you're hearing the Bible read or taught. You know what, man? You're hearing the Word of God. That ups the ante, doesn't it? So here's my, my quick call to response to you. If the Bible is true, and I believe with all my heart it is, I think, again, if you're, you were an atheist and you look at that, and I'll be happy after church to give you some books to, look, to read to, to help you with this if you want more information. But if you, if you just look at it from the academic angle, man, that's, that's huge, isn't it? And, and so if the Bible's true, what the Bible says is true. <laughs> Tonight, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, come to Christ tonight. You know a great reason to do that? Because the Bible tells you to do that. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We would, we would love for you to. And listen, without compromise, we're a church that believes the Bible is the Word of God 100%. And if you're looking for that to be watered down, we're not the place. You're a Christian tonight. Man, how much, how much is your nose in your Bible? How, how much do you read your Bible? Here's even a, maybe a more pointed question. How you live your Bible? If the Bible is the Word of God, you're going to be graded by it some days what it says. How are we living it? God is not impressed in you and me being fancy-dancy church people at all. God's impressed when we humbly follow him and obey his word. Wayne's going to begin to play, and Josh may be. I don't know if Wayne, just Wayne. I want to ask you to stand. Man, tonight maybe you want to respond to something God's saying to your heart. You come as we, uh, as we sing.